Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I get to stand up here. We're doing our summary of Ephesians today. We've made it through the whole book, but I get to stand up here before we jump into Ephesians and give you a couple of really good updates, and uh, I'm glad I get to do that because this time 12 months ago, like exactly this Sunday, first Sunday in December was the first time that as a group of elders we gave you a financial update um, just about some of the stresses and strains that we were facing as a church in that area. And so I just want to remind you, 12 months ago where we were is that from the time that we had reopened after the pandemic through that first Sunday of December, our weekly giving on average was running a little bit more than $5,000 a week behind our budget. So if you, you, know, if you take our budget and say these are our needs, what was coming in each week was about $5,000 less than that. And based on the amount of money that we had in reserves, we were saying, hey, at that pace, probably in five to seven months, um, we're out of reserves. Now, of course, five to seven months was five to seven months ago, and clearly we're still here. So we can thank God for that, first of all. But beyond that, really, um, just the way that God has provided from that first Sunday of December to this first Sunday of December in 12 months is really extraordinary. Um, and I want to make sure, as, we, as I share this good news with you, that we say that God has done this in unexpected ways. God's worked in people's hearts. God's provided. And sometimes almost in a way where I feel like we just sit around and we're like, I don't, I don't know how this is working out, <laughs> but God keeps doing it. And so just $5,000 a week under budget 12 months ago to today, if you take the past 12 months now, our average giving has been, it's still a little bit short, but it's $989 a week short for the past 12 months, which totally changes when you say, hey, here's our reserves, the pace at which you know, they're dwindling. But also, there's been some things that have happened where our reserves are the same as they were a year ago, more or less. Um, so we just haven't had to tap into them. One of the things that's gone on that's really good news along those lines, and, and you know, we've told you, hey, there's some moving pieces, is that the conversations we were having with our lender and this is one of those God things. This is like second piece of good news. Um, as we reworked the terms of um, our financial agreement with them, you know, interest rates are going up everywhere right now. And so I don't know, we didn't have any hope that this was going to happen, but they came back and they lowered our interest rate. <laughs> and, uh, and then as they were reworking all that, we had a month where we don't have to make a payment at all. And so at the end of the day, for the next 12, like in addition to the fact that we've caught up $4,000 a week just because people have given generously, you've given generously, God's worked in people's hearts and provided. But on top of that, for the next 12 months, our, our monthly need has gone down $11,400 a month just for facilities and loans. And then after those 12 months, that'll settle into more like $4,000 a month. But if you, if you do that math, if our giving were to continue the way it's been the past 12 months with the change in need, our giving would be ahead of our budget need, which I'll just be honest with you, we didn't see that coming. And so thank you. I really do want to say that. Thank you um, for the way that you've given, for your faithfulness, just for your, your persistence. Uh, even when it was like, I don't know if there's any point or not. Some of you may have thought that, and you've, just, you've been faithful. And then I do want to thank God for the way that he keeps working in our hearts, the way that he keeps providing for us so that we can provide in these ways and the way that he keeps surprising us and doing unexpected things like giving us an interest rate that's going down when everything else in the world is going up right now. So that's been really good news. And then the third piece, I know we've talked about the insurance a lot, and so I wanted to give you an update. We have finally heard back from the umpire, and the initial ruling, the first two were really good news. This one's kind of middle ground. The initial ruling that he gave us was really good. Um, like if you say, here was our claim and here's what the insurance was saying and it was more like, here was our claim and here's what the insurance is saying. He came in more like here, which is great. But now there's some negotiations, just so you know, about what's the depreciation of that roof and that building over time and then how much of the damages that are going to be repaired, how much of that cost is actually to bring the building up to code because code was different when it was built than code is now. And so the insurance is kind of arguing that some of the damages shouldn't be included. You know how that stuff goes. We've been told that in two more weeks they're going to try to settle that. And the hope is when we get a final number and we know what we're looking at, 
we can bid that out and we can say, what does it take to get this where we need it? Like how much do we need to replace completely? How much do we need to repair? All that sort of stuff. We don't really have a good picture yet on exactly what we're getting, but when we can do that and then we can look at what we do to the inside, then the bigger conversation for us that isn't as much of a financial conversation is how much of that facility are we supposed to use for ministry purposes directly, you know, like we do with the food bank right now? And then are there a few of those units that we want to repair in a way where we rent them out um, so that we give the church kind of a long-term source of income as well? And just what's the best decision to make there? So if you will be praying for all this to get settled, like with clarity, like all the dust will settle and we'll know, okay, this is where we're going to be. This is what we have to work with. And then you'll be praying that we can get that done in the most efficient way possible. Um, and that God would just provide again the way he's been provided, and then that he would give us some clear direction on, hey, here's how I want you to use what you have. Here's the best way to use this space and this facility. So just for, for quick resolution, really clear resolution, and then some wisdom and, and clarity as we move forward, that would be great, just so that we can all stay on the same page of, hey, here's where we are right now. And listen, it really is a good place to be. I mean, if we say relative to 12 months ago, I'm, I'm so thankful for what God has done. Now, I don't want us to just assume, okay, so this is what God did, so let's just sit here and do what we always do. What does God want us to do with that? Like, why has God done this? <laughs> why has he been so surprising in the way that he has provided and led us? And, and just, you know, when God does unexpected things, I think he has unexpected purposes for that. So I want us to keep listening and keep asking and keep praying, how do we respond to what he's doing? But that's where we are, and it is great news. And so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And praise God, praise God, praise God. I hope you hear me say both those things. And then the last thing as we get started is, um, you know, most of you know, and some of you may be new, you may not have been here when Michael was here, but Michael DeMarco, our former lead pastor, is in Oregon now serving on staff out there. And he and his wife Haley have taken the Bible study method that we've been using here for several years, and they've developed a study Bible based on that called the Text Bible, and Michael has also put together for Christmas, from December the 1st, so I know we're, like, you missed the first, second, third, but you could get caught up quickly if you want to, but from December 1st to the 25th, an Advent uh, study devotional that's based on this method, and so if, you, if you're interested in doing that each day, it's just a few verses focused on Christmas, focused on the coming of Jesus, and the first couple that I've looked at are from the Old Testament, like prophecies about Jesus coming. It's got some video clips on there, but if you go to textbible.com, there's one of the banners, one of the link, links on there takes you to the Advent, and each day you can text a, a small portion of Scripture and he'll walk you through that, and he's got some videos. And so it's just a great time, for, a great Bible study for you or for your family if you want to do that. And he sent me the link a few days ago, so I want to let you know about that and let you know that's available and up and running on the Text Bible website. So that's textbible.com, and then just follow the Advent link. Uh, just if you'd like to see Michael and hear his voice, that's one way to do it. And also if you'd like to use this Bible study method during your personal time focused on some different scriptures that are centered on Christmas and Jesus coming. Uh, I think that's it for the announcements for now. All right. So we've been in Ephesians for four months, I think. I didn't really go back and look at exactly when we started. So I know we've covered a lot of ground. I've said a whole lot some weeks, and I don't know exactly if I'm going to say anything today or if you all have got a whole lot of stuff to say. But what I would love to do is from, and the whole book is fair game. So if you've got, you know, a Bible or you've got a device, anything in Ephesians, it's always fair game, by the way. But Ephesians 1 through 6, the things that God has taught you that have been really impactful, or maybe that he's repeated over and over and over and kind of just hammering on you or that's really stood out to you, truths about God and also things that God has said to your heart, I'd love for you to share those with us today. And then towards the end, just so you can be thinking in this direction, we are going to bring the kids in and take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, so that's where we're headed. I'm going to pray for us and ask the same thing that I always ask that God would teach us this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be the real teacher, teaching spiritual truths with spiritual words. And then I'm going to read, there's two prayers in the book of Ephesians that we've studied through. I'm going to read, after I pray, I'm going to read the first prayer from chapter 1, and those are in your notes today, the, the first prayer in chapter 1 and the second prayer in chapter 3. I'm going to read that first one, and you're welcome to share truths out of that prayer, but just because I read that and that's in your notes, you're not limited to that, okay? I want to make sure that wasn't confusing. So, Let's pray together and we'll jump in and hear what God says to you and through you and then where we go from there. 
Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we will see you and know you and trust you and love you and worship you and that we'll be changed by you as we encounter you. Father, we need you to do all of this by your spirit, by your grace, because you're the only one who can. We acknowledge that, we confess that, we declare that right now, and we trust you for that. And we thank you that you promised to do all of it because of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Here's this first prayer from Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Paul writes to the church, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right, that's our prayer as we start today. What has stood out to you in the book of Ephesians? Biggest truths about God, biggest things God's teaching you, or maybe biggest questions you have. We can go there too if that's helpful to you. God's power is un- immeasurable. You know, when we throw out words like immeasurable, I don't know if we really grasp what that means. <laughs> God's power is immeasurable. Whatever unit of measurement you would use, whatever standard you would use to say, okay, you know, this is the standard by which we measure something. The only way that works is if your standard is bigger than the thing you measure. And what this is saying is God's power is bigger than anything that you would ever use to measure power by. So anything that you are going to face or encounter in all of creation, Physical creation and spiritual creation is not large enough for you to measure God's power. God's power surpasses that and is sufficient for, enough for, anything that you would face. What else stands out to you? God is still working out and answering Paul's prayer for the church. That's such a good thing to keep in mind. You know, when Paul prays this, and this is a really helpful way to think about the whole Bible, but especially the letters that are written to churches in the New Testament. Once you get past the book of Acts, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are all about Jesus' life while he's on earth, and they're named after the people who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they're about Jesus. And then you've got Acts, which is the history of the early church when it first starts. After those five books in the New Testament, everything else is a letter written either to real churches that existed in real cities during the first century or to individuals who were leading those churches, serving in those churches, or then when you finally get to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, it's written to seven different, like specifically to seven different churches that existed during that time and were facing persecution in the Roman Empire. So you have all these like actual letters written 
from people to churches or from people to people. And so when you read it, we could say like this letter is written from Paul to the church at Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. It's named after the church it was written to. But it's written for all of us throughout all time. That God inspired Paul by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to the church at Ephesus, specifically addressing them at that time, the the things they were facing, the things he knew that they needed more explanation about or needed to be taught about. He wrote it to them, but God inspired it and then preserved it in the Bible in such a way that it's for all of us. And so this prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus is also by the Holy Spirit, his prayer for the church, you know, the local church at Ephesus at that time but the church universal throughout the whole world for the rest of time until Jesus comes back. And so he prays this for Ephesus, but he prays this for us. This is his prayer for Friendship Community Church. And it is, like God is still answering that prayer. God's still working out what Paul has prayed right here for the church. And, and every week, like this is as, as closely related to what we do every week as anything we could read in the Bible. Every week that we come together, this part right here, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. like Every week we are coming together praying and reading the Bible and studying the Bible in a way where we are, we are actively saying we believe that God is still doing this. That the Spirit is here living inside God's people doing a spiritual work in our hearts, opening the eyes of our hearts, not just human eyes, not just intellectual eyes, but spiritual eyes so that we will know God more. And so we read the Bible like, laser focused on this. What does this teach about God? God, help us know you more. And we pray laser focused on this. Spirit, be the master teacher. Spirit, teach us these truths about God. That this prayer that Paul wrote out almost 2,000 years ago now, we are still living saying we believe God's answering this prayer. We believe this is how God's building his church. And we want to be part of that. We want to participate in that. And that's why we would study the Bible this way. It's why we would teach this way. What else stands out to you? And go anywhere you want in Ephesians. Just direct us if we need to know where you're going. Yeah. So the truth that John's given us there, just in case you can't hear him or in case you're listening online, God's will is clear. And then specifically what he's pointed out, that the book of Ephesians, these six chapters, really do break up really, really you could say nicely or neatly or evenly, into two halves. And chapters 1 through 3 focus primarily on our relationship with God. You know, a lot of people will call that your vertical relationship. But our relationship with God from the perspective of God has loved you from eternity past in Jesus. And God accepts you now in Jesus. And God seals you with his spirit and promises to love you for all eternity future in Jesus. That that, that is the foundation of your relationship with God. That's the foundation of God's love for you is God himself and what he has done for you in Jesus and what he is doing for you in his spirit now. So there's your relationship with God in chapters 1 through 3. And Paul dives into some really, really deep stuff, like stretching all the way back before time began, when God's the only one who's there and there is no creation yet. What was in his heart and his mind and why he created and why he wants to redeem his people and love us and make us his own. But that is, and it really is, if you read chapter 1, it's like God is pulling back the curtain into his own eternal mind. And he's saying, hey, things that you could never know, things you could never figure out, things that are a deep mystery in, when God's talking, he's saying, in me, myself, I'll show you. Like, you wouldn't see it, but I'll show you. I'll tell you. Like, chapter one really is this incredible privilege that he would let us in on, here's what I've been thinking and desiring from all eternity past. When you weren't here yet, 
Here was what was going on. And so God's will is clear about what he intended you know, from all eternity past in the gospel, in Jesus. And then the shift in chapters 4 through 6 is, okay, if that's true, if that's who God is, and that's how God loves us, and that's what God has done to make us part of his church, his family, his body, those are all different phrases that Paul uses to describe it, then what does it look like for us if we really are part of his family now? You know, if we bear his name and we're supposed to be like our Father, and even more, if his Spirit lives in us, the Spirit of God himself is living in us and producing in us the same things that are in God, the same type of love that is in God, giving to us the same type of power that God has, what should our relationships with one another look like? What should the church look like? What should marriage look like? What should parenting look like? What should our, our, uh, our relationships at work look like? How should we interact with the world? And, and even how do we engage in the spiritual realm and the spiritual battles that we're facing? But, but all these practical implications of this is how we live if the Spirit of God is really living in us and we're learning to depend on Him and trust Him so that over and over and over, and, that, and the part of the God's will is clear, is when we get to chapter 5, He says, this is God's will for you, that you'd be filled with His Spirit. And, and if you know who he is, and you know what his spirit's like now, because chapters 1 through 3 has laid out for you like a million truths about the nature of God and who God is. If that's who he is, and he's living in you, he should be producing that in you now. That when you surrender to him, and trust him, and rely on him, and he's the source that's producing stuff out of you, this is what's going to flow out of you. And so when you see that flowing out of you, it's a great encouragement and confirmation of, hey, yes, you're, you're growing spiritually. You're growing in your reliance on the Spirit. And then when you see areas where that's not what's flowing out of you yet, it's a great gracious reminder from God of, you need to learn to trust me more. This is another area of your life where you need to surrender to me and you need to die to yourself and you need to stop being your own resource and your own source and your own strength. It, it doesn't need to be natural you apart from Jesus. It needs to be spiritual you connected to Jesus one with Jesus, his spirit producing that in you. And so he just, he keeps walking through all these different areas of our life and saying, is this area surrendered to God? Is this area filled with the spirit? Is this an area where you're really trusting Jesus and his spirit's living in you? And over and over and over though, he makes his will clear of what he wants your relationship with him to be like because of who he is and what he's done and what he wants your relationship with other people to be like because of who he is and what he's done and because he lives in you. And the way John summarized it there for us is that when Jesus wants to take the whole Old Testament and like squeeze it all together <laughs> into two sentences, he's like, hey, here's, here's, if you get this, you get the whole thing. He's like, love God with everything you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Chapters 1 through 3 is love God with everything you are. Chapters 4 through 6, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's, you know, Paul's ex expanding that, giving you the details of here's, here's a lot of the ways that looks. But it's always grounded. It starts in this is who God is and what he's done. What else stands out to you? The better our foundation in God's word the stronger we stand against worldly influence. And the, the place that my mind goes when Chris says that is, you know, all this truth that Paul lays out throughout the whole book, and it is, like, it's really deep, um, it's, it's, it's rich, it's full, that he covers so much truth about who God is. And the whole time is, we want you to know God this way. I'm praying that, God, that you'll know God this way. I'm praying the Spirit will do this work in your heart. I'm teaching you all these things with the hope that God's going to use that so that you'll be grounded in these truths about God. And he gets to the very, very end. It'll take me a minute to scroll down that far. But in chapter 6, and he's like, so when you have all these spiritual resources for this spiritual battle... Here's what we hope for you. Having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. That, that all of this, God would ground you in such a way in the truth of who he is 
and strengthen you in such a way by the truth of who he is that you are able to stand on the truth of God and the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, that you can stand your ground right now in the middle of this spiritual battle that's taking place, both with, with all the, the things that we can't see with our eyes in the spiritual realms, but then all the ways that all that plays out and manifests itself in the world and the worldly influences and, and the pull of the world on our natural heart, that you would stand here and say, no, like my life is in Jesus. Jesus is the center, Jesus is the focus, Jesus is the goal, Jesus is my hope, Jesus is my strength, Jesus is my source, and I'm just going to stand right here. Whatever else swirls around me in the whole world, this is where I'm going to stand. And yeah, the, the better our foundation in God's Word, the stronger we stand against worldly influence and, and also, you can say, spiritual influence. What else? Other truths that have been really significant to you? Yes. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. I, and I feel like God does that with me, with my kids. I mean, all the time. Like, moments when I'm saying something to my kids, and I know it's true, and I can, like, while I'm talking, I can hear him saying in my head, do you know that's what I'm saying to you? <laughs> like, like, you're not saying this to them right now. I'm saying this to you. Um, but, but the general idea here is, that our relationship with God's primary. And a few weeks ago, I drew that terrible picture that so many of you mocked me and made fun of me for um, with our relationship with Jesus up here and then the, that it casts a shadow down into all of our other relationships, that, that he's the source of light and he's the king and that whatever ultimately that relationship looks like will determine the type of shadow that you cast into all of your other relationships. So the healthier your relationship with Jesus, the healthier of a shadow it casts on all your other relationships. The, the, the more full and complete and robust your relationship with Jesus, the more full and complete and, and the shadow that should be cast is cast. But when there's things missing or there's things that are twisted or distorted in your relationship with Jesus, it casts that same shadow. Those things are missing in your relationship with other people, twisted or distorted there. And so you know, one of the really important things, and I feel like there's a million things we can say right here, and I'll try not to take too much time, but we're we're really tempted, again, to start with us. Right? Like man-centered, me-centered, human-centered. Just the, the, the thing that happened when, when sin entered the world and we fell, like from Adam and Eve on for all of us, is that we're all turned in on ourselves now. Like your natural state is here. You look at you, you think of everything with you as the starting place. Like it, your perspective is reality for you naturally. And you measure everything by it, you weigh everything by it, you think about everything, you make your decisions on, how does this affect me? What's going, like the first thing that's going to pop into your head is, how does this affect me? And all your wants and desires, just everything about you drives you. But that's not reality. I'm, like, I'm sorry that I have to tell you that. I'm not even really sorry I have to tell you that. But it's just, like, you aren't the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. My Here's how easy this is. All of you right now, looking up here at me, can you tell me how many fingers Just, Justin's holding up back there? Anybody? That's how limited your perspective is. Like, he's in the same room as you, in the same city as you, in the same state as you, in the same country as you at the same time. And you don't know that. Do you know how small a sliver of reality we're even aware of in any given moment? There is no way that we can have the right perspective on all things at all time and how it all works together. Like we, we just, we're too finite. We're too small to be the center of everything and to be in charge of everything and to figure everything out and for us to be able to think through everything and know how everything needs to go. But we think we can. Like I think I know how everything needs to go. And so, 
we've turned in on ourselves, but that's not true. That's not who we are. Before the fall, and the way it's supposed to be, is that God is the center of everything. Like God existed, and there was this moment when God was all that existed. It was just Him. Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect loving relationship with one another. All the fullness of love and joy that you could ever imagine all within God himself and somewhere within himself in the deep mysteries of who he is just because of who he is he said, I want to share myself with someone other than myself. Something other. I'm going to create other and give myself to that other. I mean, that's probably not a perfect way to say it but it's one of the best ways I know to say it to you. But when he does that, everything still comes from him. He's the source of all of it. He has power over all of it. He's in control of all of it. And so everything that comes out of him, he is still the center. He is still the source. He's still the foundation. He's still the reason. And we were created to live in that type of relationship with him, that we know that's who he is and that's who we are. And when we look to him in that way, when we worship him in that way, when we trust him in that way, when we believe those things about him, when we're turned out to him, that's what we were made for. Like everything in all creation was made to look to him that way. To, if you think of him as the sun in our solar system, to orbit around him, that he defines our rightful place. If we're in right relationship with him, we're in right relationship with everything else that we're supposed to be in right relationship with. But what happened was, and, and it's funny that for the longest time we didn't know the sun was the center of the solar system. We all live like Earth is the center of the solar system, right? And we all live like you and me are. That's so sin took us from being turned out to God the way that we should be to turned in on ourselves. And so one of the billion ways that that manifests itself now is that, that God, in our relationship with God, what John said, is supposed to be what defines all of our other relationships, and so it should be that we look to God and who we see in God as a father tells us how to parent. And even that we can look to Jesus, the son, and who we see in the second person of the Trinity and God, the son, tells us who we're supposed to be as a child and how we should interact with our parents. And we look to, to Jesus as, as the husband of the church and it tells us who we're supposed to be as a husband. We look at the church's relationship to Jesus and it tells us who we're supposed to be as a wife. And, and just on and on and on, you can pick any relationship you want and in some way, God in his nature, who he is, defines that for us. But what we get backwards is we will start looking at all of our earthly relationships where they're broken and they're not what they're supposed to be. And so just as, like one of the easiest examples if you've had a really bad relationship with your parents, and especially if you've had a bad relationship with your father, people, and you know people that do this, and maybe you struggle with this, will project that onto God and be like, you know, basically, I hate my father, and so I hate God as a father. I can't trust my father, so how could I ever trust any father? And we let the shadows define the reality. But what we don't realize is the biggest problem is we're treating this like it's the ultimate authority. Like we've already pulled God out of the center and we put our relationships in the center. Do you see that? And what we should be doing is we should be coming and saying, okay, I know these are broken. Whether it's parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships, you know, friends within the body, with the world, bosses, employees. I know that there is sin and brokenness and hurt and wounds and pain that affects all of that. I can't look to this to figure out what things are supposed to be like. But there, there is a perfect father, a perfect husband, a perfect son, a perfect child, a one who's perfect in authority and perfect in submission, one who's perfect in love and perfect in grace and perfect in forgiveness. And if I look to him, like I should start here and who he is should tell me what these relationships are supposed to be like. And so then what happens in these moments when we do that the right way, like instead of flipping it, is when we're engaging in these relationships and we started by talking about kids here and we're saying something to our kids and we know, hey, here's what I want to say that isn't right. Like this is the broken me out of the flesh responding to them. But here is what the gospel has told me my kids really need to hear. And here's what I really should say in this moment. As I start to listen to that, I'm not just hearing now what I'm supposed to tell them. I am hearing that, but I'm also hearing what God's always saying to me. And the truth of who God is and the fullness gets revealed in, as it plays itself out in our relationships in this world. So that he doesn't say, God doesn't say, hey, you got to choose 
between your relationship with me and your relationship with everybody in your life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you focus on these relationships and ignore me, like if you make these primary and treat them above me, none of them will work. <laughs> like your relationship with them is going to be broken and your relationship with me is going to be broken because you aren't focused on me the way that you should be. Not because he's gone anywhere, not because he's turned away from you, but because you aren't looking to him the way you should be. He's like, but if you focus on me the way you should, let me be the foundation. Let me be the center. Let me define everything for you. You die to the idea of you being God of your life. Die to the idea of you being at the center of your life. Die to the idea of living like out of your perspective and your emotions and your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings. Die to you completely. You are not the authority. You are not the source. You are not the definition of it. Surrender all that. He's saying, surrender all that to me and acknowledge that that's who I am. And then when you embrace your relationship with him like that, and you submit to him, and you surrender to him, and you bow before him, and you declare you are God, and you are the center, and you are the source, and you are all in all. He doesn't ditch all this stuff. He wraps his big arms around it, and he grabs everything in your whole life, and he says, now all of this can find its right place in relationship to me. I'll make, I'll make this what it's supposed to be. I'll help you love the way you're supposed to love. I'll help you lead the way you're supposed to lead. I'll help you submit the way you're supposed to submit. I'll help you forgive the way you're supposed to forgive. I'll help you show compassion the way, just everything that you need in all those other relationships. He becomes the source for all of it. But it's only when he is the source for you. Like he has to come first. And so the, the healthy way that God will speak to us through all these relationships is he'll take these spots, you know, like these, these broken places, these, these painful places for us, these sources just of, and this isn't what it's supposed to be. And he'll come and, and I feel like primarily, even in the Old Testament when we expect God to be so like, you know, it's one of the great things about that story with Elijah where it's like it's not the fire and it's not the rushing wind and it's not all the craziness. It's this still small voice, like this gentle whisper. And so I think God will come in your pain and your brokenness and your struggles and he'll just whisper. And he'll be like, I want you to see me here better. Let this turn your heart to me. Let this remind you that you aren't what you need to be on your own and you can't be and you can't fix this and you can't get this right and give yourself up and come to me and find the real thing in me and find the new thing in me and let me redeem and let me restore and let me heal and let me give you spiritual resources that you've never known that they, they aren't in you apart from him. They're only in him. So that he's, it's, it's what we read here at this prayer, if I can get all the way back up to it. Like, he doesn't intend just to fix a few things in Jesus. He doesn't intend just to work in a few areas of your life. Like, when all this plays out, the way that Paul's praying and the way that God has planned from all eternity past, when it gets to the end here, he raised Jesus up from the dead, seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, everything in the natural world, everything in the spiritual world, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, so forever and ever. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's universal, cosmic, epic, global work in Jesus, and he intends for his grace and redemption to touch every single piece of your life and every single piece of your heart. There's none of it that doesn't fall under this. There's nothing in your life that you would look at and say, well, i got to deal with that myself. God's not taking care of that in Jesus. Now, like, all your relationships, all your struggles, all your brokenness, all your wounds, all your spiritual battles, all your worldly battles, everything, physical health, spiritual health, all of it. In, like, he intends for Jesus to rule over all of it and to rule as a king who is full of love and grace and mercy for your good because he loves you. All right, I said a lot there. What else do you got? I gotta stop for a minute and make sure you get a good chance here. I think this is 
There's so much good stuff in Ephesians, but this might be my favorite spot. This may be the spot that I feel like I am naturally least aware of and that I, like I naturally live so much of my life and even so much of my religious life not thinking in these terms. Like needing the Bible to constantly remind me that the majority of everything that matters is beyond what I see and perceive directly in this natural world. And even everything that matters in this natural world only matters in relation to this. And so uh, let's look at this verse that Carol was pointing out. And then I'm going to I'm gonna try to do something that may be too ambitious. I, I'd like to grab all the book real quick. and be like, Can we see the picture that Paul gave us? And if we can, great. And listen, if this fails like just terribly, like if it flops completely, like I don't, those last 15 minutes, I don't know a single word he said. That's okay. Like if you'll go back and just read Ephesians 1 through 6, you'll be way better off than like trying to figure out what I said, okay? So if it, if it doesn't land right, that's great. But uh, I had thought about doing this anyway, and I, I just feel like it's the right thing, the right way to sum it up. So I'm going to try, and I pray that God will take some of it, and he'll say some things to you in the next 15 minutes. Um, but if it doesn't come out right, that's me. And if you hear great things, that's him, and we'll just leave it in those categories. So 310 right here that, that Carol's talking about says that this was God's purpose in everything that he's done, this, this back up to 3.9, the mystery hid, hidden for ages in God. Paul's talking about the gospel there. And, and mystery, usually in the New Testament, means this thing that no one could have figured out. Like it was hidden in such a way that we would not have seen it unless God revealed it. Like God has to show it for us to be able to see it. God has to explain it for us to be able to understand it. And so there's this mystery in the gospel. What God has done like in, in preserving his perfect justice and punishing his own son on the cross for all of our sin and then displaying his perfect grace in forgiving sinners and accepting them in a way that doesn't compromise his justice and then what God has done to build a church out of those people that he has saved in that way and to unite people who in every worldly and national and racial and cultural way would be so different and God creates one body and one people in Jesus, united in Jesus in a way that meets all of our needs and gives us everything we need spiritually, but then is all for His glory, that everyone could stand and honestly forever and ever say, God did it all, all praise and glory to God. Like the fact that God came up with that kind of plan, none of us were thinking that up. None, like there is not a natural human thought, a natural human religion, even just a secular way of living that looks anything like the gospel. Nobody comes up with this except God. And it is different from everything else. And so then he's had to reveal it. And it's like he's had to take all of history and just hammer it over and over and over and be like, hey, here's what I'm actually telling you. And I know you're turned the complete other way, <laughs> that you naturally live the other way. And so you can pick any story you want. And I'll just throw out two real quickly. He's like, with Abraham. All right, here's what I, God's like, I'm going to build a nation. And naturally, what we think is, all right, if, 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 this, if God is who we think he is, here's what we've got to do. We need a really good person like a really holy, righteous person who deserves to be used by God. And if God's going to build a nation, he needs to have a whole bunch of land and a whole bunch of people. And God's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this guy. His family's been worshiping idols in another country. He has no children. His wife's infertile, and he owns no land. That's who I choose. And here's why he's going to become a nation, because I promised I would do it. And it's God saying, I'll do it all. I'll give it, he has none of it. He has nothing he needs. And I'll give it all. And so then, if you want to see it highlighted, we get to the point where it still hadn't happened. And Abraham's like, hey, uh, God, I, I know what you said you're going to do. Here's what I'll do. I'll help you. I'll give some, you, you want me to have kids? Here, I'll give you a kid. Here's Ishmael. And God's like, I never said I wanted you to do something for me. I never said I wanted you to give me a kid. I promised I would give you a kid. I promised I would do something for you. I don't want what you give me. I want you to realize you need what I give you. I mean, that's the whole story. And then in God's grace, though, Abraham's like, and of course he didn't have the kid yet, and he's still doubting that God's going to do this. You know, that's how 
righteous and strong Abraham was. He's still doubting God's going to do it. He's like, well, won't you just, just bless Ishmael? And God's like, fine, I'll even bless your sin. <laughs> and he does. He's like, but I'm still keeping my promise through Isaac. Like, it's still going to be what I do for you. So, you know, you take that. Then David, same kind of story, right? You know, David must be, if David's going to be the king and God's going to do everything and David's going to be the one who's the pattern for Jesus, like the Messiah is going to come and be the son of David, then David must be strong and great and, and everybody would pick him as king and he must do everything right and he must have all this stuff to offer God so he deserved to be king, right? David's the youngest and smallest and weakest in his family. When, when Samuel's coming to pick the king, his dad doesn't even bring him in from watching the sheep. He's like, well, there's no way it's going to be David. <laughs> Nobody would ever pick David. I've got all kinds of sons that are better than David. And God's like, no, I want David. I want the one that nobody else would think of, the one that nobody else would pick. And, of course, then when David comes to God, like the biggest moment, he's like, you've blessed me in so many ways. Let me build a temple for you now. Let me build a house for you. And God's like, I have never asked you to do anything for me. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to make another promise of what I'll do for you. You're not going to build me a house. I'll build you a house forever. You're not going to build me this physical temple with your own hands and say this is, this is where God can dwell. No, I'm going to build you a spiritual house where your line will endure forever and one of your descendants will be king forever and ever. I don't want you to do things for me. I want you to trust what I'm doing for you. And listen, it's just over and over and over and over throughout all of history. God's saying, this is who I am. I was full and complete in myself before you even existed. And the reason you exist is because I wanted to pour myself out to you in love and grace and mercy. And so your rightful place is to receive from him to trust Him and receive from Him and then thank Him for who He is and what He gives. And so that's the mystery. And for all of history, He's been teaching us that and telling us that. And then it all comes, like it reaches ahead in Jesus. When Jesus is on, and you finally see, hey, here's how He's doing it all. Here's how ultimately He's giving us all of Himself and everything He has for our good in a way that it will be great for us, but it will always show who He is. That mystery... God reveals. Now, but look at this. So that, why? Through the church, so when God does this great work of grace in Jesus and creates the church by his grace, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So when God does this work in Jesus and he saves you and he saves me and he makes us part of this body and he starts building his church, it's not about you and it's not about me and it's not about this church. He's got something so much bigger in mind. God said, I've been looking at the entire spiritual realm. Like everything that exists spiritually in all of reality. And God said, there's parts of me they still can't see and know. That's what he's saying. Like there, there was something hidden about God that could not be seen, could not be revealed until God wrote this story that he's living out in history until God told this story and now by what he has done in the gospel, in the cross, through Jesus, in building the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known in all the spiritual realms. Like This is what you're part of. <laughs> and, and yet, like, your life gets to be part of it. This church gets to be part of it. This world gets to be part of it. But it's not all of it. It's not the biggest thing. Like your life's not the biggest thing, and this church isn't the biggest thing. Now, your life has incredibly, massively significant importance because of how God's using it, right? Because he's connecting it to everything that matters. This church has incredible, massive, significant importance because of how God's using it and because he connects it to everything that matters. But it's not everything that matters, right? Like This is both humbling and encouraging at the same time. We are so tiny compared to the plan and work of God. And then he lets tiny little things like us be really, really important in this huge plan that he's working out. And so he says, I'm going to do this work in my people, in the church, through Jesus, in this world, in history, so that for all time, all eternity, and all spiritual realms, all spiritual beings will see how wise he is. 
I mean, do you, like this verse, like this is everything. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic when I say that God is telling you why everything exists right here. Everything. This is your whole life, my whole life, this whole world. This is what God intended to do to make his manifold wisdom known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That they would look at him and be like, look how wise he is. Look how wise he is in justice. Look how wise he is in grace. Look how wise he is in his ability to, to write a story, to tell a story where justice and grace meet as perfectly compatible friends and they're both completely satisfied and neither's compromised in any way, and he's holy and perfect in all of who he is, and he's come for this plan in such a way where he's so gracious to, to the people who need it, and he gives them what they need. And he's so just and holy and righteous in himself that he never compromises himself in any way. Like, only an infinitely wise God could take everything that's gone on and everything that's gone wrong and all the ways that spiritual beings and humans have rebelled against him and he could wrap his arms around all of it and he could say, here's how I'm going to use all of this to show the greatness of who I am. Look at the wisdom of God in that. And then God's saying, I want you to look at the wisdom of God of that here and then I want it to ring out into the heavenly realms. That when the church declares how wise is our God, how great is our God, that all the spiritual realms will hear and say, it's true, it's true, look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. Like you sit here today because God is this wise and this good and this gracious and this loving. And, and the angels and the demons look on you and they see the wisdom of God. They look on this church united by the gospel. So many of us here, the only common thing that we have that has ever brought us together, the only thing that's crossed in our lives that would make us be together in this room is Jesus and his gospel. And the angels and demons are saying, God's so wise. Look what God has pulled off. And so I want you to think about this just in a couple of ways as we wrap up and go to the Lord's Supper. And I know we can't read a lot of it. We've read a lot of it over and over and over. But in this first section in chapter 1, Paul starts in eternity past when, when God's the only one who existed. And you know, I said that you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in perfect loving relationship back there in all eternity past. And that's where God, in his own mind and heart, has already hatched this plan. Like here, here's how I'm going to create, and here's why. Right? I'm going to create in such a way that my manifold wisdom will be displayed in all the spiritual realms. Like this, is, this is what he's about to do. When it, when it talks about the plan that he's made before time and how he predestined us for adoption and what he's doing in the gospel, that all that, that he decided before the world began, like th that's what he decided. That as he works this out in his people, that his wisdom will be made known to all the spiritual realms for his glory. So that's what chapter 1 is talking about. Now, here's a piece that I think that we can peek into just a little bit, that when it's just God and nothing else exists yet, Father, Son, and Spirit, God is already all of who he is, right? He is full and complete in himself. Father loves Son and Spirit perfectly. Son loves Father and Spirit perfectly. Spirit loves Father and Son perfectly. And so you can look to God and you see what we need. For everything he says relationally in the second half of the book, the way that the church should love one another and be kind to one another, compassionate to one another, and forgive one another, and bear with one another, all those one another commands in chapter 4, and then all the relationships that he talks about in chapter 5, all of that is defined by who he is. But even though God's already all of who he is, there are certain aspects of who he is that there's, there's no need for them to be expressed within his relationship. This is the best way I know how to say it. You know, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit love each other perfectly, it is full and complete. But do you know one of the things they never need to do with each other? Just one of them. They never need to forgive each other. They never mess up. They never sin against each other. They never hurt each other. God never has to show grace. Like, Father never has to show forgiving grace to the Son or the Spirit. The Son never has to forgive the Father or the Spirit. Like, there, there is no place... For, you know, grace is an expression of his love. Like it, it's, there, it's already there in, within his love, but he doesn't have to pour it out as grace to himself. And so if God wants to make known that he's a gracious God, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, 
that type of rich in love, in one sense, he's got to have something other than himself that he can show grace to. He's got to have fallen creatures that he can forgive. If he wants to show that he's a rescuer, he needs somebody to rescue. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if you want to, like, why did God create? Sometimes people say things like he was lonely. No. <laughs> There's no lack in him. He didn't need anything. He had everything he needed within himself. It's not that. It's not that there was something missing in God and he created so that missing thing, so that the thing he created would fill what's missing. It's because there were things, he was so full, there were things in him that he hadn't shown completely yet. And he wanted to show himself more. And so he had to create things other than himself to show more of who he is. Right? Like, you can't, when, when Father, Son, and Spirit are all completely full, you can show how three full beings interact with one another forever, but you can't show what those completely full beings would do for and to empty beings. <laughs> like, what does he do when somebody doesn't have stuff to give him? When somebody doesn't respond to him perfectly? When somebody isn't in perfect relationship with him? That's only going to be seen if he creates something other than himself because he's always full and he's always responding perfectly to himself and he's always in perfect relationship with himself. And so he says, I want all the spiritual realms to see the fullness of who I am because he's that great. He's that wonderful. He's that beautiful. He needs to be seen. He deserves to be seen. And so he creates and he starts telling the story. And a piece of it is brokenness and fallenness and sin. It's rebellion and rejection of him. And he says, okay, now, here's a piece that the angels and demons, they can't see except that I play it out here. Here's a piece that I'm going to show to all the spiritual realms. What do I do when my creatures, my children, turn away from me? What do I do when they reject me? What do I do when they rebel against me? What kind of God will I be then? How will my nature manifest itself? And if you want to hear it, it's chapter 2. Like, here's the answer to this, like, this eternal story that God chose to tell so that the eternal mysteries of who he is would be manifest in the spiritual realms. Chapter 2 is who he is. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there it is. The thing that never happened within God himself. Father, Son, and Spirit, there was no disobedience. There was no brokenness. There was no fallenness. There was no rebellion. There was no evil. There was no wickedness. And so whatever God's response would be to all that couldn't be seen within himself because that stuff doesn't exist in him. And now he's created other than him, outside of him, separate from him, and we've responded to him that way. What would God do when his creatures reject him that way? Verse 4, this is who God is. This is the message that he wanted to send to all the spiritual realms. This is why he created. This is why he's doing what he's doing in the church. He's saying, I want this, my wisdom in this, to ring out forever, everywhere. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, Abraham. And this is not your own doing, David. And this is not your own doing, friendship. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. He's not saying, do this work for me. He's saying, you are, you are my work. 
You are the work that I'm doing. You're the family that I'm creating. You're the body that I'm making. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before. And so, he's like, and so even the good works that you will eventually do when you become what I've made you to be, those are the good works that I got ready before you existed. <laughs> like it's all Him and all His gift to us. And He's saying, learn to depend on me like it's all me. Learn to trust me like it's all Learn that everything you do needs to be because you're connected to me and you're living as your spirit lives in, as my spirit lives in you. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, that picture of God, rich in mercy with the great love by which he loved us, by grace you have been saved as a gift. That is the message that rings out in the heavenly realms and says, manifold wisdom of God, manifold wisdom of God, manifold wisdom of God. And God looks at you today and us as a church and he says, this is why I made you. So that your life will declare this. Your life will show this about me. Your church will declare this. Your church will show this about me. There is nothing else in all reality. This is why we exist. To glorify God in this way. To show the wisdom of God in this way. And so then when you get into the rest of the book and you say, okay, so God wants his mercy and love and grace to be shown in this way. And he's like, and so you all show mercy and love and grace to each other this way. As my spirit lives in you. And so listen, when you love each other, when you have compassion for each other, when you care for each other, when you forgive each other, when you are merciful with each other, that is not just some tiny thing in this one relationship on earth. That echoes into all the spiritual realms for all eternity, the one message about God that he wants to be declared forever. That's how much it matters. And listen, that's, that's what a disaster it would be if we live in our own strength, our own resources, if we build our own kingdom, it's about our, if it's about our name here on earth instead of his name in the heavenly realms, or if we fail to love this way, if we fail to live out the gospel this way, if we fail to forgive this way, if we fail to show grace this way, like, instead of restoring and redeeming and, and reconciling the way that God has with us, we, the way that Pastor Michael used to go, we amputate and we disconnect and we move on, and we break off, and we refuse, and we push people away. Like it's, That's not all that's happening. There's something massive happening in the spiritual realms. It's like, do we understand? Has God opened our eyes to see everything he's doing, and that he's doing all of it in the gospel? All of it in the love and mercy and grace and forgiveness that he gives us in Jesus. And he's saying, I've given this to you so that it will transform you, and that you'll give it to others from me. Like this is the whole thing. And so if somebody wants to go ahead and bring the kids in, like this is why we take the Lord's Supper today. Like when we really understand what we just saw right here in Ephesians 3. And you, know, you get to the end of the book, by the way, and we, it's where we ended last week. If you want to listen to like the last 10 minutes last week of pray, 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 pray. God's like, I've, I've written this story here on earth, physical realm, with massive spiritual implications. And here's the, the weapon I've given you, the connection I've given you from here to everything. Pray to me for all the resources you need, everything you need, so that it'll actually play out this way. Pray that I'll give you all the spiritual stuff you need so that the spiritual message will be declared about God in the spiritual realms. And so when you realize that's what he's doing, and then we get ready to take this, this is, that's what this is all about. Like, this isn't just a physical act. It's a physical reminder of the most important spiritual truth that has ever been declared and ever will be declared anywhere for all time. It's this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Jesus' body was broken so that this body could be built to the glory of God. Jesus' blood was poured out so that we could be washed clean and the manifold wisdom of God would be seen as He forgives us and cleanses us and makes us His people. That's why we do this. And right now, when you do this, it echoes out in the spiritual realms and the angels and demons, they get to watch and they get to say, look how wise God is. And the angels, they say it in a way, look how wise God is. Glory to God in the highest. And the demons, the best I know, is more like, look how wise God is. We can't do anything about it. He's going to win. He's always won. But to all of them, it's the same message, the same glory of God, the same wisdom of God and the grace and mercy of God. And so right here, Jesus says, this is my body. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me we are going to sing what since last year has quickly become my favorite new Christmas song I didn't even know Keith had planned it for today but it's so perfect for this moment at the end of the Lord's Supper as we're headed into the Christmas season. We are going to have pastors, elders, staff, wives down here if you would like to pray with someone or talk with someone or if you just want to come and pray on your own, you are always invited to do that. And there's nothing specifically holy about this place. Sometimes it's just good to get out and and make a move and say, I'm responding to what God's doing and let other people know that. You can obviously pray right there. But we just always want you to know you're invited and that's open uh, during this time. But as we sing this song, I want you to hear who we are apart from Jesus. Like who we are in those first few verses of chapter 2, dead in our trespasses and sins and rebellion and disobedience and wickedness. And then hear the love of God that he would invite people like us from every tribe, tongue, people, nation in the world, people like us so far from him, you say, I still love you anyway. Come, come to me. You're unworthy, but come to me. You're broken, but come to me. You're lost, but come to me. You're a sinner, but come to me. You're dirty, but come to me. And I'll take care of it. And I'll take care of you, and I'll love you forever, and I will show my grace and mercy to you forever, and through you I'll show my grace and mercy in the spiritual realms forever. All to his glory. And so sing this with us. Let this be a time of worship. And you come and pray, or come and talk to somebody if you need to, but stand and sing with us.